Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. We're at the start of a new year. We all get a fresh start with a clean slate just waiting to write our story. And how exciting is it that your 2023 story includes this moment? God has something for you today. He's ready to meet you wherever you are on your journey. Whether you are in the room live, watching online, or later on demand, I know one thing for sure. God wants to take center stage in your story as he births something new in you. And I, for one, can't wait to see what he's up to in your life. Well, and my life for that matter. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. People grow here because God uses the people on our team to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that you can come as you. We're just like you. Regular people on a journey discovering what God has for us each day. And each day saying yes to becoming like Jesus, one step at a time. Which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to figure out what your yes is today and tomorrow and the next day. Slowly becoming like Jesus. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey. Even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on. This is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, Let's join our service. Most of us love a good hero story. Nobody likes an unhero story. We love stories where the underdog conquers the seemingly unconquerable and wins the day. We love to hear stories where someone desperate for help finds it in the unlikeliest of heroes. We love to hear about someone beating the odds. We love a great rescue. Hollywood has earned billions of dollars retelling some of these great stories or making them up. We love these stories so much that we don't really care if they're true or not, as long as they are heart stoppers starring heartthrobs. We love hero stories so much that sometimes it's easy to forget that honest-to-goodness survival situations don't always bring out the best in us. Sometimes, and maybe most times, if we're honest, times of trial, times of stress and pressure bring out the worst in us. We've seen it time and time again. We've lived it time and time again. When life is good, when everything is smooth sailing, when there's peace at home, success at work, all of our relationships are just chugging away, that's when it's easy to mask the cracks in our character. It's easy to seem more spiritually mature, more emotionally healthy when life is good. But when the pressure hits, man, watch out. We don't have to look beyond the first few pages of the Bible to see this truth. Adam and Eve are living in heaven on earth, walking with God at the end of every day. And one little lie reveals their weakness. 
Cain and Abel seemingly get along until Abel beats out Cain in the who brings the best offering to God contest that he didn't know he'd entered. And the sore loser, Cain, beats Abel and commits the first murder. Abraham, chosen by God as the genesis of God's ultimate rescue story, in fear for his life, lies about the identity of his wife twice. And in a moment of faltering faith, tries to force God's hand and get the rescue ball rolling by sleeping with a slave. And then there's Jacob. His name actually means deceiver. Every time this grandson of Abraham's was under pressure, he lied. On and on it goes. Sure, there are some great hero stories that inspire us to pray that God will show up for us the same way he did for them. But even the heroes have cracks in their character. David may, be, may have slain a giant, but he also lied in murder to cover up his adultery with Bathsheba. Pressure may bring out the best in some of us, but it just reveals the weaknesses in most of us. As John Eldridge, the author who has framed this series for us, writes, uh, who we are, what we love, and how far we are willing to trust God are revealed when we are truly hard-pressed. Take Peter. For three-ish years, he's literally been in the physical presence of God, being mentored for purposes far greater than he could imagine. For three-ish years, he's had the inside scoop on the plan. He's been told directly by Jesus himself what's going to happen. And then when it does, what does he do? You're familiar with the story. Matthew 26 tells us that while Jesus was being accused by the high priest, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath, i.e. he swore. This, I don't even know the man, he said. <laughs> A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. Under pressure, Peter, the rock, hit rock bottom. And in that moment, he is filled with shame. And he leaves broken, weeping in sorrow. We feel the same way when those unconverted places in us show up, right? I mean, we're kind and loving and full of grace, representing Jesus well until our tank is empty. And then we blow up at our kids or our spouse. Something happens at work and we lie and blame and accuse someone else. We become the jerk behind the wheel. You know what I'm talking about. You give way to hate in your heart. Now that might seem like a little extreme, but from a biblical perspective, if it ain't love, it's hate. Let that sink in. Welcome to the third message in our series, Resilient, Strength That Prevails. 
The last few years have been hard on us. Our shared global trauma has squeezed out every ounce of our reserves, leaving us empty and tired and short-fused. It's revealed the cracks in our character. We can't hide them anymore. And for some of us, those cracks are chasms. You can see this truth in almost every headline. It's all negative, negative, negative. And even when we come across a rare piece of good news, there is always someone else protesting the injustice of it all. Uh, but you don't even need to read the headlines to know that what I'm saying is true. We're living it. We've spent three years reinventing everything, coping, adapting, complaining about the injustice of it all. We're still adjusting to a new kind of complexity, a complexity driven by fear. Someone coughed. Am I going to get sick now? Should I shake a hand? Is it okay to hug? Am I standing far enough away? Where's the hand sanitizer? There's just so much fear. And even if it's not your fear, dealing with everyone else's fear also leaves us just as exhausted. Too tired to do anything but sit in front of a TV screen. If resilience is the ability to navigate the ups and downs of days that give life and days that take life from us, with the help of our reserves to keep us balanced, then all of this is evidence that day after day, week after week, and now year after year of days that take life from us have drained our reserves. We are reserved out. And running on empty in your reserves makes navigating days that take life from us harder and harder and harder until our soul is just done. In my humble opinion, this lack of reserves is our new global pandemic. Though I'm sure that there are a, a rare few that have navigated this past season successfully, the fact that you have to wait weeks, even months, to get an appointment with a counselor in our community, as well as nationally, proves that as a whole, we aren't doing very well emotionally and spiritually. Fear and anxiety are up. Addictions are up. Unhealthy coping mechanisms are up. Anger and rage are up. The need to reclaim control is up. All of these are trauma responses. And we are seeing a lot of it in the world around us right now. Trauma takes a toll. When trauma hits, you pull up your bootstraps and you get her done. But you always pay the piper later. So we might be surviving but we are a far cry from thriving. I know, what a downer. <laughs> Thanks for depressing us, Chris. Just what we needed for today. Well, enough of the bad news. There is good news. In fact, it's great news. For the Christ follower, it doesn't have to be that way. We have the glory of God in us, the river of life in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead in us. We have everything we need to thrive. We just need to learn to tap into that power. And for that, in order to find resilience, to reclaim resilience and fill your reserves, you need to become a wholehearted person. We chase wholeheartedness because the more we are fully integrated, then the more we are united with Christ and he saturates our being. King David, the adultering, murdering giant slayer, slayer, put it this way in Psalm 86. He writes, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. 
Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. Grant me purity of heart. Some translations say, give me an undivided heart. That is wholeheartedness, an undivided heart. Grant me an undivided heart. Now, let me just call a spade a spade for a moment. If David, a man described by God as a man after God's own heart, if, if he needs help from God to be fully united with God in his innermost being, so do you and I. And he's not the only Bible hero with unconverted places in his life. The Apostle Paul, the man who gave us about half of the New Testament, uh, a giant in the faith for all of us, told the Roman church about his divided heart. Uh, in Romans 7, he says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the, that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Even Paul struggled with a divided heart. So I know we do too. You know what I wish were true? I wish in our salvation conversion, that moment when we surrendered our lives to Christ, that the rest of us was also converted. That we just arrived. But God in his infinite wisdom apparently disagrees with me. Because he made salvation a process. Now, don't get me wrong, there is that instant homecoming, kind of like the parable of the prodigal son. You know, you know the one I'm talking about. Even people who don't, know, who don't follow Christ have heard some form of this parable. Uh, there is that moment in our salvation that is like when the father who had been watching and waiting for this moment saw his son. And he ran to him with arms open wide, no mask, no social distancing, just a big old welcome home with a party no less. Dad doesn't even need to hear his son's prepared I'm sorry speech. He's just in. It's love at its best and it's a homecoming. And when we come to Christ, we experience the same. But that isn't the end of our story. It's just the beginning. And the process of becoming like Jesus begins. We, we call that the sanctification process. We have been saved and we are being saved from living for ourselves to living for Jesus, 
with an undivided heart. Though God sees us as holy because of Jesus, our minds and bodies are still far from holy. We still have unconverted places. We still have brokenness that needs to be reconciled. We can still be selfish. We can still experience fear and anxiety. We can still be controlled by anger. We still let our tongues destroy with our words. We still don't know how to love like Jesus in any and every situation. We still have unconverted places in our lives. Even Paul did, so we do too. But it's this process of becoming like Jesus that gives us resilience. The more we become like Jesus, the more we are one with Jesus, the more we tap into this supernatural power and thrive in any circumstance. And here's the deal. This is so easy. If you've been here the past two weeks, the only thing we've asked you to do is pray more specifically about some aspect we've talked about. It doesn't matter where you are on your spiritual journey. You can pray which also makes this the hardest thing to do for some of you. It's not that you don't believe in prayer, but you are doers, especially if you have a legalistic church background. You're like, I'll pray, Chris, but what do I do next? To simply pray and spend time purposefully in the presence of God, meditating seems like a little woohoo to you. You know who I'm talking about. Didi! <clears throat> There are certainly aspects of working out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul told the Philippians, that require that we do or not do something. Remember that love isn't love until you act on it or not act on it, depending on what we're talking about. But this is deep work. Soul aligning, uh, resilience building, soul healing work can only be done by allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he does best in our inmost being. Trust me, this woohoo will make you like you know who. Trust God's work in you. So here's how we go about converting those unconverted places. As these places show up, when your selfishness shows up, when your narcissism shows up, when your, when your rage shows up, when your lack of love shows up, when your brokenness shows up, uh, whatever the unconverted place is for you, when it shows up, instead of hiding it from God, bring it to him. Put it in his hands. Simply ask Christ to come and be one with you there. Jesus, come and be one with me in my anger. Come and heal me here. Jesus, meet me in my fear. Be one with me in my anxious spirit. Jesus, be one with me in my longing for life to be good again. Be one with me in my unsanctified imagination. Jesus, here I am again, wallowing in my addiction. Be one with me here. Now, ideally, you might start the conversation before you are in sin, but even then, in your sin, invite Jesus to be one with you there. This feels weird. I, I know. You're watching something you shouldn't be watching, and you say, Jesus, why don't you just come join me here on the sofa and be one with me? Or Jesus, feel free to look over my shoulder at my computer screen and be one with me. That feels weird. Asking God to join me as I sin. Listen, 
I don't need a holy audience when I am at my worst. I want, I want God to see me as worthy of Christ's death. So let me sin and then I'll come back to him. In our minds, that's just not how Christians do things. We fail, we pray for repentance, and then we try a little harder. We buck it up, grit our teeth, and try harder next time. You know what I'm talking about. You sin too. I'm not the only one. The try harder next time method doesn't work. If it did, we would all be completely 100% holy by now. The author of the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10 that through Jesus, God has both made us holy and is making us holy. He is giving us an undivided heart. He is making us wholehearted. It's his work in us, not our own. But he's not going to force his way into those dark places in our heart. We need to invite him in. John Eldridge puts it this way in his book. The goal of God's work in us is Jesus taking up residence in every part of us. Nothing left out. No little pockets of resistance. To the Thessalonian church, Paul wrote this. Now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way. Notice who is doing the work on whom. And the scope of that work, every little unconverted part. He will leave no unholiness behind. He's going for your whole heart. Paul continues, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make it happen, for he is faithful. We can't just vow to do better next time. The resilience we're talking about won't be found by a new level of discipline. God gives it to us. It is imparted. The, the transformation of our character, that thing that makes us wholehearted, takes place as you give Christ access to the unconverted places in your life. Places that you haven't given him access to before. You haven't really wielded them over. Or you did, and then you took them back. But over time, in this process, we become more and more saturated with the glory of God, with the presence of God. We are more and more living in his strength and power, not our own, his reserves. I think most of us know of C.S. Lewis. You probably know that he's the one who gave us the Chronicles of Narnia, which include the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Even if you haven't read the books, you've probably seen one of the three movie versions that the, of the first book in the series. But he was much more than a great writer of fiction. He was an intellectual giant. He wrote more than 30 books that still challenge readers today. After Lewis died, his secretary, Walter Hooper, said this about the author. He said, he was the most converted man I ever met. The most converted man. Of course, on this side of heaven, no one is 100% converted. But over time, Christ had really gotten a hold of C.S. Lewis. So much so that his mind, his outlook, his emotions, his attitude, his appetites were converted to holiness. He was a converted man. He was Wholehearted. Which begs the question, 
What is the goal of your life? We live in a comfort culture. Convenience is the goal of our lives. We don't like hard. We bank from our phones. We have our groceries delivered to our homes. We Uber in our meals. We skip commercials. We binge because we can't wait till next week to see what happens next. God is committed to the transformation of your life until you become the most converted person your friends and family know. You might want to do a gut check and make sure that you are committed to the same thing. Comfort and convenience or conversion. Not that comfort and convenience are bad. They're not bad things in and of themselves, but they are bad when they keep us from becoming converted. And yes, God blesses us along the way. He gives us many good and perfect gifts, but that's not the goal. The goal is transformation. Do you want that more than anything else? So as I encounter the unconverted places in my day-to-day -day life, I am asking for that. I am inviting him to be one with me in those places. I am asking him to sanctify me through and through, which is how the New International Version puts 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I want him to meet me in all of my little comforters. Because pressure reveals where we really go for comfort. What we look to for security. Where our hope lies. The true values of our lives that are our go-tos in hard times. The cracks in our character. I'm asking him to meet me in all of those places. Leading me toward wholeheartedness, toward a deeper level of resilience, which leads us to another prayer. I, I want to show you how this process works. So why don't you do this? Just close your eyes and get comfortable as you settle in. Take a deep breath. Let it out. Tell your brain that you're in a safe place. And start with telling God how much you love him. You can use your own words or just simply say, I, I, I love you, God. I love you. He's right there. I like to picture him sitting in a chair in my office or walking right next to me. I love you, Father. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Holy Spirit. You're giving God your attention. Letting your presence settle into his presence. Focusing on him instead of lunch or the football game or your afternoon nap. Just give him your love. And now think about the unconverted places of your life. The ones that have been presenting themselves lately. No need to hide them. Just bring them before Jesus. Here I am, Jesus. I invite you into my bitterness. I invite you into my pain. Into my lust. Into my anger. Into my fear. My anxiety. My loneliness. Into my lack of desire to give myself fully to you. In those parts of me that I'm holding on to because I'm just not ready to give them to you. 
Whatever it is for you, invite him into it. Don't be afraid to be specific. The more honest you are with him, the more openness you have with him, the better. Jesus, I don't want to bear this any longer. I want to be transformed. So I'm opening these parts of me to you. Save me here. Make me one with you here. And just linger in the moment. Jesus, what are you showing me? What do you want me to see? What part of me are you asking for access to? I agree, Jesus. I give it to you. Jesus, make me holy in this place, in these places. I want you to have all of me. I surrender every unconverted place in my life to you. I ask for your presence in these places. Make me one with you here. I give this part of my life to you, Father. Integrate all that I am with all that you are. You alone are my salvation, Father. You alone are my transformation, my rescue, my wholeheartedness. Make me whole and true. Give me your strength. Give me your resilience. In your name I pray, amen. Now, here's the deal. This isn't a magic easy button. Whatever your thing is, it's going to rear its ugly head again. The assault of the enemy isn't going away. You are going to be tempted again. You are going to fail. But what you are doing is training your body, mind, and spirit. You are, as Paul says in Romans 12, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're teaching every part of yourself to find everything you are in Jesus. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And it takes time to build new pathways in your brain as you let go of the old ones. But you keep inviting Jesus to be with you, to be one with you in the moment. You're driving down the road and the, some driver ticks you off. Jesus, be one with me in my anger and frustration. Your finances get pushed to the max. Jesus, be one with me in my fear that you won't provide. Your marriage or some other relationship steals your joy, makes you just want to be done. Jesus, I invite you into this emptiness. Be one with me here. Over time, those unconverted places will get makeovers. As hard as it is, it's that easy. Jesus, come and sit with me here. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions alone or with others will help the truth of God's word find its place in your life. 
please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring, who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. We are simply excited to play a small part as God does His perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's richest blessings would overflow in and through your life.